This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. There is a fountain filled with blood. It's drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilt and stain. See, that's the reality of our hope in Christ. That as we come to Christ, the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf cleanses us from the guilt and from the stain of our sin. Before we came to faith in Jesus, we were lost. We were in sin. Our hearts were dark and full of rebellion. It doesn't matter how good we thought we were. We were still sinners in need of a Savior. And that's what Pastor David will be reminding us of today. He'll share with us that without the blood of Jesus, we would still be lost. But because of his loving and selfless sacrifice, we now have an opportunity to be cleansed and forgiven. We can have life, and life more abundantly. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 11, for part one of our message entitled, Tear Down This Wall. Have you ever noticed how much in our culture in particular, we have so many fences, so many walls that are built? And again, some of these walls keep things in, but uh, let's face it, most of the walls that are built are to keep things out. And these walls, these fences that are built, they're made out of a variety of uh, products. And some are real, and actually some are imaginary. And we, some are physical, some are spiritual by nature. Some that are made of stone, block, or wood, and some that are actually made through years of prejudice, through years of fear that we might have. There's a proverb that actually came out of the uh, 17th century, but uh, most of us know it. Uh, it became popular, put it that way, uh, in the 1900s when Robert Frost wrote it in a poem. And it says simply, good fences make good neighbors. You familiar with that uh, phrase? Um, some agree with that phrase and some don't agree with that phrase. But for the most part, growing up in Arizona, and Arizona kind of an independent uh, kind of feel and attitude to us, uh, I kind of bought into that early on that uh, good fences make good neighbors. I want my uh, six-foot uh, block fence around my backyard. I want that privacy. I want that division line there. But... Uh, that's not always the case in everyone's life. It was about eight or nine years after Todd and I were married, we moved to Kansas City uh, there in the Midwest. Those of you from the Midwest will particularly uh, catch this idea and thought. We moved there. We, we bought a, a cute little house in a very nice little neighborhood. And there in the backyard of that house, there was a three-foot chain-link fence. And that was sufficient for our kids to be able to keep our children while they were small kind of uh, within boundaries, okay? So they're not out and about, and we know where they are. But again, uh, everybody in the neighborhood, if they had a fence, that's the only kind of fence that they had. But for the most part, no one had fences at all. Backyard kind of ran into backyard. Side yard went into side yard. It was just kind of like one huge common area, and the kids, uh, for the most part, played in everybody's yard. That's just kind of the way the culture was there. It's kind of interesting for us on a, when it would snow and it 
snowed quite a bit in Kansas City. But uh, on those evenings when it had snowed and yet now the sky is clear and there's a nice bright moon, you could actually sit out on our back porch, look down five, six, seven houses, and you could see a cat going from yard to yard to yard. I mean, in the middle of the night just because of the wide openness and the light coming from the snow. It was an interesting place, and again, it was different for me as pretty much being an Arizona kid, kind of felt like we were living in a glass house with all the windows open, you know. Well, one day, uh, Tot was speaking to one of our neighbors, and she was kind of just casually speaking, said, you know, we've been thinking about maybe sort of kind of uh, thought has kind of come into our mind of maybe, perhaps, kind of sort of putting in a wooden fence, a six-foot wooden fence around our yard. Well, that was the wrong thing to say to a Midwesterner. Though we never built that fence, people in the neighborhood, I think from that time on, thought to themselves, I wonder what they were trying to hide. <laughs> we're trying to hide anything. We're just kind of used to our privacy. But enough about fences right now. We'll get back to that in a moment. Let's look at what Paul is sharing with us in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to begin this morning in verse 11. Paul writes, Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by those who were called circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ." For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall, the fence, okay, of separation. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Beginning in verse 11, Paul uses that word, that connective word, therefore. Here he he begins a new thought. He begins a, a new section. But once again, he's tying in something that he's already said to what he is about to say. Personally, I feel that the therefore located in verse 11 deals directly with verses 1 through 7. Now, you might say, well, what about verses 8, 9, and 10? Those are pretty powerful verses. Well, yes, they are, but I believe that they are strong enough. They they pretty well stand by themselves. They were put in, I believe, as Paul was saying these things, uh, in the flow of things, separately. They are awesome, they are powerful, but they stand on their own. However, in verses 1 through 7, we find Paul telling the Gentiles that they were different than the Jews. But he goes on to say that all of us, though, we were all sons of disobedience. We were all children of wrath. But now jumping over verses 8, 9, and 10, he once again returns to that thought found in verses 1 through 7 with the therefore of verse 11. He says, in essence, what he's saying is, therefore, because you were dead in your trespasses and sin, verses and things that he speaks up in verse 1 through 7, 
Therefore, because you were sons of disobedience, you were children of wrath. Therefore, because God loved you and he showed you his mercy. Therefore, because God placed you in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. He says, therefore, remember. Therefore, remember. Remember what? Well, I believe what Paul is trying to do is to give the Gentile believers at least three things to believe. And we'll look at those three things in a moment. But for now, we need to see how he is, again, clearly drawing back that attention to the previous situation and the plight of the Gentile believers, of which you and I are are among them. In verses 1 through 7, he spoke a lot about us and we, but in that it seemed that for a while he was trying to break down the wall of separation between the Jew and the Gentile as he was bringing them together. He was speaking of the greatness of all of our need for Christ. But here he goes in verse 11, he goes back to this idea of you. Again, speaking not to the Jewish believers, but once again to the Gentile believers. Here he goes back and he says in verse 11, Therefore, remember that you, yeah, you, I'm talking about you, you the Gentile believers. He says, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by the hands. Again, he draws this line of demarcation, this this segregation between the Jewish believer and the Gentile believer. The Jewish believer being the circumcision, the Gentile believer being the uncircumcision. You might think, okay, Paul, why do you keep going back? Why do you keep building this wall, this dividing wall? The easy answer is is that I believe that he's trying to get them to focus and to remember that complete and utter helplessness of their former life. I believe that what he wants them to remember is their miserable condition before conversion, where they were unregenerate heathens. They were absolute and total pagans. Paul wanted them to remember that. The fact is is that generations ago, the Jews had already built this huge wall of division between them and anyone else who was not Jewish. As a matter of fact, if, if you were not Jewish, your delegation, your relegation, who you were for the Jewish believer, you were just dogs. Anyone who was not Jewish were dogs. And so here this big dividing wall was there. We need to realize Paul isn't putting them down because of their past position. I believe that what he wants to do is remind them of the greatness of the division of the two groups in order to be able to show them, once again, the greatness of God's hand, of God's work in their lives, both the Jewish life as well as the Gentile life, both the circumcised as well as the uncircumcised, on both sides of the fences, what God is going to do in their lives. I believe we all need to be reminded of the same thing. I believe that we need to be reminded not to dwell in the past of our life before Christ, but simply be reminded of the greatness of God's forgiveness in our lives. Sometimes if we're believers for a number of years, we kind of skip the fact of the greatness of the sacrifice of Christ for us, the greatness of his love for us. The reality that God showed a great mercy in our lives by calling us to himself. 
after we've been in Christ for a while, particularly if we've got our lives together and we're, we're walking in obedience, how quick it is for us sometimes to forget, man, how great our need was outside of Christ. And beloved, the problem is is sometimes there becomes this kind of righteous indignation toward those who aren't where we're at yet. And suddenly we start building walls. I believe that we need to be reminded of the greatness of the forgiveness of Christ in our lives. Here Paul goes on to tell him those three things as I spoke about, and we see this there beginning in verse 12. He reminds them at that time, you were without Christ. There was a reason for your wickedness. There was a reason for the rebellion in your heart. You did not know Christ. You were lost. You were outside of Christ. Secondly, he says it was at that time you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers from the covenants of the promise. There was a reason why there was this dividing wall of separation between you and God's people. There was a reason the Jews were so disconnected from you and why you didn't have or even understand the very promises of the covenants. You were alienated from those things. There was no way that you and I could even begin to understand the promises of God in his word because we were outside, literally, of the household of faith We did not understand because these things are understood through the work of the Spirit in our lives. Third point, he says at that time also, you had no hope and you were without God in the world. There was a reason for the emptiness, for the wandering of your soul. You had no hope. No hope for this life and certainly no hope for eternity. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty desperate to me. It sounds like a pretty horrible situation for anyone to be in. But you need to know this morning that everyone in this room was either in that condition in the past, or perhaps there may be some of you here this morning that are in that condition even now. That you could look at your life, and if you were able to look at it honestly and literally with the eyes of God, you would understand that you are without Christ. You're separated from the very promises of God in your life. And you have absolutely no hope. And you're without God in this world. Beloved, it's not religion. It's not good intentions. It's not even goodness or a lack of it. If you're without Christ in this present world, you are without hope. Without Christ, your, your very purpose of life is lost. You live your life for your 70, 80, 90, maybe 100 years. But if you're outside of Christ, the purpose of your life has been totally lost. I, I agree with the Reformers when they ask in what's called the Westminster Catechism. The very first question that they ask there is, what is the chief and highest end of man? Why were we created? And the answer, the response to that question is, is that man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and to fully enjoy him forever. You and I were created for that purpose. And unless we are in Christ, there is no way possible that we can fulfill that purpose of our creation. So here we are. We were in this desperate condition. 
We were walled in by our own sinfulness. We were walled in by our lack of understanding. We were walled in by our own inability to be able to apprehend the hope that was found in the gospel. But praise God, Paul doesn't leave the Ephesians there, neither does he leave us there. He goes on. Once again, he gives us one of those but God moments. Remember, we had one a little earlier up in verse 4. when In verses 1 to 3 of chapter 2, he talks about the deplorable situation we're in. And then in verse 4, he says, oh, but God. Well, here we have another very similar type one over in verse 13. In verse 13, he tells us, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, once again, here's your deplorable situation, but God. But God through Christ has now brought you near. And that's the point of celebration for us all. In the 18th century, the hymn writer and the poet William Cowper wrote these words. There is a fountain filled with blood. It's drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilt and stain. See, that's the reality of our hope in Christ. That as we come to Christ, the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf cleanses us from the guilt and from the stain of our sin. Another hymn writer in the 19th century who is also a Baptist pastor, followed by the name of Robert Lowry, He wrote these very familiar words. What can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. There's no other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You see, it's by the blood of Jesus that we've been brought near to God. It's because of the sacrifice of Christ that we have the ability to be able to enter into the holy place with God. There's so much that can be said about the blood sacrifice of Christ. The the only sacrifice that allows the guilt of our sin to not only be washed away, but actually to be completely paid in full. That's what's called the atonement. He atoned for our sin. He took our sin upon himself. Previously, it had been continually demonstrated by that sacrificial system of the Jews. God instructed them in in their sacrifice, and it was a precursor of the coming of the ultimate sacrifice of Christ for the sin of the entire world. You and I would be grossed out, I believe, in, in the culture that we've been raised in, unless you've worked at a slaughterhouse, okay? You and I would be grossed out at the worship of the Jews of the Old Testament. Because it was a bloody mess. We would have been repulsed by that to see that. But I believe that God did that purposefully. Because it was a demonstration of the grossness of our sin before His holiness. And the reality of the greatness of the payment that needs to be paid because of the immensity of our sin. It was a great object lesson for the Jewish worshiper as they would go into the temple and they would see the innocence of these lambs and of these uh, bulls and of these other animals as they were sacrificed for the sin of man prior to our coming by faith to receive that completed work of Christ's sacrifice in our own lives. We were separated from God 
because of the wall of sin that was in our lives. But Paul tells us here, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And in the removal of that wall of sin, gang, peace comes into our lives. What does he say in verse 14? For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, who has broken down the middle wall of separation. I believe that this wall of separation Paul speaks about has a double meaning. It has a double impact. First of all, it was the wall of separation between the Jew and the Gentile. Just as he wrote earlier, we were aliens. We were separated from Israel and all of those promises. But I believe also it speaks of the wall of separation between humanity and God. Separated by our sin and even by our sin nature. Simple acknowledgement of the bloodline connecting with, with Abraham for the Jew wasn't even enough. The bloodline of our parents isn't enough. For the Jew, many of them thought, well, just simply because I am part of the nation of Israel, then God looks at me with favor. But Paul makes it very clear that no, even in the Old Testament, they were saved by faith. And there were many who had the bloodline of Abraham in their lives, but they weren't true Israel because they didn't walk in faith of the one true God. And Paul gives us very clear instruction, very clear understanding of those things. And for you today, you and I, just because our parents or our grandparents were believers, it doesn't matter if our parents or our grandparents were in the ministry. It does not matter. Each one of us stands before God, not on account of our pedigree, but because of, again, our faith in Christ. It's not the bloodline of our parents, but it's because of the blood of Christ. That's where we need to stand. The blood of Christ is the only active agent that's able to tear down the wall. Looking around, I know that some of you here will probably remember very clearly, maybe you even saw the news reports at the time, the time when then-President Ronald Reagan spoke at the Brandenburg Gate there in, in Berlin in West Germany. And that was back in 1987. And as I got to thinking about that, wow, 1987, that's uh, 10, 20, that's, that's like a lot of years ago now. But you, you remember, and perhaps those of you that are younger have, have seen news reports or you've heard it, how, again, standing there before that wall, that Berlin Wall that was built back in only 1961, that wall had become a symbol of Soviet and communist oppression to the people of Germany and even throughout Europe. Reagan, at that point in time, he publicly challenged Mikhail Gorbachev, who was the general secretary of the Communist Party, with those words. You remember those words. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It's interesting, that wall of separation, that wall of oppression. Finally, it was torn down. whole series of political changes and, and, and civil unrest brought that wall down 1989 and 1990. The Berlin Wall was built because of the fears of men and was taken down because of man desiring freedom. But you know what? That wall of separation between us and God was placed there because of the sinful nature of man and the holy nature of God. 
we who were sinful, there had to be a wall of separation between us and the one who is holy. And beloved, for us really that wall was a wall of protection. Because of the holiness of God, if we were to enter into that holiness, we would be completely destroyed. You see, that was even symbolized for us by the veil that was before the Holy of Holies there in the temple. That Holy of Holies, a place where only the high priest could go once a year, and the only way that he could go in was with this blood of the sacrifice. Because anyone else who would enter into that place, which was a representation of the holiness of God, would be annihilated at that point in time. They would be struck down at that point because of the holiness of who God is and because, again, of the wretchedness of our own lives. It seems that more and more people are getting caught up in a works-based expression of their faith. Ephesians 2.8 says... For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. This is the book Pastor David is currently teaching through, Ephesians. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to www.theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for worship on Saturday evenings, Sunday mornings, or Wednesday evenings. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to TheOpenWord.com and follow the link to the church website. Finally, we want to encourage you to follow us on Twitter at TheOpenWordRadio. Or log on to TheOpenWord.com and follow the link right there on the homepage. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with David Landry. Please join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. That's next time on The Open Word.